Mr. Grinch, you really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus, you're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch. With a nauseous super nos. You're a crooked jerky jockey and you drive a crooked horse, Mr. Grinch. You're a three decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. You can thank me later, that song will remain in your head for the next 25 years. How many of you wanted to sing along? Uh, the altar call will be that song, we'll just sing it all together. It struck me coming into this holiday season, as I shared last week, how it seems as though we just get done with Halloween and the candy and it's time to decorate for Christmas, and that Thanksgiving gets lost in the mix. And there was commercial articles written titled, How the Grinch Stole Thanksgiving, and I found that to be really fascinating. And while I do, I value Thanksgiving, it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite holiday. How's it get any better than that? Um, but that's not my real concern. My real concern is that faithfulness and having a thankful heart go together, and that thankfulness tends to be eroded from us. I read an article done by the University of Michigan about the workplace and what creates a healthy workplace environment. And they said that when gratitude diminishes, thankfulness is gone, and you can't have a healthy, emotionally healthy workplace environment without a heart of gratitude. And began to look at what is it that erodes that away, and came up with three things that I'm referring to as three Grinches that get in the way. And last week we talked about the Grinch of narcissism. When it's all about you, you believe that everything that comes to you is deserved and there's no room to be grateful. The second Grinch this morning is one that I am a little more familiar with personally, um, and that's the Grinch of cynicism. A cynical mindset. Well, what is a cynic? A cynic or cynicism is an attitude of suspicion where you believe the future is bleak and that people are only acting out of self-interest. An example of cynicism is when you always think the worst and have a hard time believing the good in anyone. An example of cynicism would be when someone gives you a compliment and your reaction is, I wonder what they really meant. 
That's cynicism. It's distrust of the motives of others. Why does a cynic have such a hard time being grateful and then thankful? Well, why be grateful for a gift or a compliment from someone who has ulterior motives? That's how the cynic thinks. And it impacts our faith. Sigmund Freud said, In the depths of my heart, I can't help being convinced that my dear fellow men, with a few exceptions, are worthless. That's pretty cynical. Sigmund Freud, you're all worthless. Read another great theologian, Conan O'Brien. Conan says this about cynicism. All I ask is one thing, and I'm asking this particularly of young people. Please don't be cynical. I hate cynicism. For the record, it's my least favorite quality, and it doesn't lead anywhere. Nobody in life gets exactly what they thought they were going to get. But if you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. I looked for another theologian and found Stephen Colbert. Colbert says, cynicism masquerades as wisdom, but it is the furthest thing from it because cynics don't learn anything. Cynicism is a self-imposed blindness. I want you to hear that. That, I think, captures the heart of the cynic. It is a self-imposed blindness, a rejection of the world because we're afraid it will hurt us or disappoint us. Cynics always say no. But saying yes begins things. Saying yes is how things grow. That mindset that everybody has an ulterior motive, that no one can be trusted, and the world is going to be a bad place, nothing good is going to happen. It's easy in this world to become cynical. Now, before I move on from that, there are places where God appears to be a bit cynical. In Jeremiah, I want you to listen to what God says in chapter 9 to the nation of Israel. Beware of your friends. Do not trust your brothers. For every brother is a deceiver and every friend a slanderer. Friend deceives friend and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You live in the midst of deception and in their deceit. They refuse to acknowledge me, says the Lord. That sounds a little negative to me, <laughs> perhaps even a little bit cynical. So what I'm saying is, just because you're cynical doesn't mean you're wrong. And there are times to not trust everybody and everything. The Pollyanna eternal optimist would be the opposite of a cynic who believes that everything's going to be good and you can trust everybody and how many of you this morning would say, I trusted someone, and it comes to your mind, I trusted a person and got burned by it? Let me see your hands. We've all been there except this section. This section is much more optimistic over here. I am curious, though, how many of you, just because I wasn't looking didn't mean you didn't have to raise your hands. How many of you have trusted someone and got burned? Anyone over here? Oh, a few more. Good. Thank you. I thought, you can all go. You can be excused from this message. Cynicism does something to us that impacts our faith because how you see others affects how you see God. In fact, the Apostle John said, 
If you say you love God whom you've not seen, but you hate your brother whom you have seen, how dwells the love of God in you? You can't say that you hate people and love God. You can't be cynical about everybody and reject them and say that your faith in God is healthy. Human cynicism is destructive to gratitude and then also to thanksgiving. So let's go to John chapter 1. I want you to look at a cynic who radically changed in a brief encounter with Jesus. His name is Nathaniel. Let's read this story if you'll follow on with me in John chapter 1. I want to read the entire portion here beginning in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. That is a huge declaration of faith. They have been waiting for generations, for centuries for the Messiah to come, and nothing has happened. And here out of the blue comes a man who says, we have found him. He's here. We have found him. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael replied. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael, how do you know me? What do you really mean? Jesus said, I saw you while you were under the fig tree. Before Philip called you, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. I don't know that I've ever in my life seen that radical a change in that short of a time. He says, you don't even know me. How can you describe me? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And in one declaration by Jesus, Nathanael's entire heart changes. And he says, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly I tell you, <coughs> you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What happened? What made that radical change from a cynic to a committed Christ follower, a sincere follower of Jesus? And I think there's some things woven in the text that you have to soak on a little while to grab hold of. I'm going to suggest to you that the first thing to cure a cynic's heart, and believe me, when I talk about not being a cynic, I'm talking about not living as a cynic. I'm not telling you when we're done that you have to trust everybody and that everything is going to be wonderful and the sun's coming up um, bright with no rain every morning. I'm not saying that. But when you live with a cynical attitude, not based on reality, everything is made negative by that. So the first step to putting that life in balance is you have to hear the voice of God. I'm becoming more and more convinced that what needs to happen in the life of the church to be everything that God wants us to be is to hear the voice of God. How do we hear the voice of God? Over and over in Scripture, I could do a whole message on hearing the voice of God and how important that is. The problem here with Nathaniel is he didn't hear the voice of God. He heard the voice of a man. He saw a man named Jesus, 
who compliments him. You are a true Israelite. In you there is no deceit. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the best response when someone gives you a compliment is to say thank you. That's hard for me. I have to work on that. Is it hard for any of you? We want to deflect it. We want to make a joke about it. When someone gives you a compliment, your thank you response isn't about you. You're simply affirming the gift they've offered, and it's rude to not accept it with appreciation. Are you with me? So he says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, oh, yeah? How do you know me? What do you know about me? You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. Cynical. Rejecting the compliment. You're seeing a picture inside his heart. If you want to see what people are made of, feed them a compliment and watch their response. If they say, I know I am, then they're a narcissist. <laughs> if they outright reject it, they're a cynic. We need to find life between those two poles that simply says, thank you for your kindness. But instead, Nathaniel rebuffs him. You don't know me. You don't know what you're talking about. What makes you think you know anything about me? You're just flattering me, and I'm not receiving it. I wonder, please hear me, how often we miss the voice of God simply because of our attitude. We've already determined the outcome. We already know that people are not trustworthy. We already know that church is not a place where anything good's going to happen. We come with a mindset that is negative and put people in that box. And I'm just saying to you that when you live with that mindset, you're not going to hear the voice of God. You're only going to hear the voice of men and women. And when you only hear the voice of men and women, you're going to find yourself in the place of saying, why don't I ever hear from God? Well, it might start with your cynical attitude. Cynics can't hear God. Jesus offers this response that I, again, this little, this little section is so rich. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus offers a supernatural response. If Nathaniel were to have continued with a cynical attitude, or if I had been Nathaniel, to whom I can relate, I might have said, really? Under the fig tree, nice try, they're all over Israel. Whose field? How tall was it? Which side of the tree was I sitting on? If you're so smart, how long was I there? What was I doing if you saw me? Is anybody hearing me at all? Elbow your neighbor and say, you need to listen to this this morning. <laughs> but something, and we don't know, and so since we don't know, I want to be really careful and just give you my opinion. But how many of you would agree that whatever was happening in, Philip's, or in Nathaniel's life at that moment when Jesus said that, 
It cut through him like a knife. The Spirit of God grabbed his heart, and he thought this could only be the Son of God. What would cause that to happen? I don't know, but I want to create a scenario in which it could have happened to give some validity to our understanding and context. Fig tree was a common place in Israel for Jewish men to go and contemplate the scriptures. It was a common place to go and pray. To go and sit under a fig tree would not have been in and of itself that big a deal. But what I do know then from the historical context, it is highly likely that Nathaniel had found his normal place of prayer and meditation under the fig tree and is praying and meditating on the scriptures. Now, what if he had been contemplating the prophecies of the Messiah? What if in that moment he'd been reading Isaiah 53? What if he'd been reading some of the other great Isaiah texts about the coming of the Messiah? And what if, just as a what if, he had, just before Philip got to him, that he prayed something like this. Father, when will Messiah come? When will he come? Do you even know where we are? Do you even see us anymore? What if that had been his prayer? And then Philip comes and says we have seen the Messiah. Now, I want you to carry that what if into this context. If the last thing he would prayed was God when will Messiah come? Do you even see us anymore? It's been 400 years of silence. Do you even know where we are? Do you see us? And Jesus says, right before Philip called you, I saw you. Something like that happened because he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's, listen to me, that's what happens when you quit listening to the voice of man and you hear the voice of God. When I preach, I'm going to tell you what my prayer is. It is not that you will hear what I have to say. It is that somehow supernaturally while I'm preaching, I trust in this promise that I believe the Lord gives to all who proclaim truth, that the Spirit of God will come alongside and convict our hearts, that I want you to hear the voice of God above all else. And I believe that preaching is a prophetic declaration that carries the anointing of the Spirit so that the Spirit of God can speak to you right where you sit. I can't tell you how many times I've had people quote me that I said something preaching that I never said in a positive way. <laughs> Because they heard something during the preaching that touched their heart and they equated the two. Something happened in that morning, in that moment, that he heard the voice of God. How can you hear the voice of God? You can't if you're a cynic. You can't. If your world is negative, people can't be trusted and there's nothing to look forward to, you will never ever hear the voice of God. Because all you can hear is the loud din of the voice of man. So I want to pause for a moment, do a little bit of a lab workshop, and talk about how to hear his voice in practical terms. Because sometimes we make it all spiritual, and it is, certainly, but we don't take time to talk about the mechanics. How does it happen? Practically, how does it happen? 
I'll give you an example. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues. And I can say that forever and ever, but until you understand how to respond to the Spirit, you'll never receive that awesome, wonderful gift that He has to edify you and build you up. And we have to talk sometimes about mechanics that that you have to speak. You have to, you're the one that's gonna speak. The power of God's not gonna take you over. And 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 we talk about that. Let me talk about hearing the voice of God. How does that happen? I remember praying one day, it was in high school, and said, God, I, I believe in you, but I'm struggling. I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have a dream, a vision. You know, and I was serious. Write something in the sky. You know, give me something to help me that I can anchor my faith in. And I remember hearing him. Now watch, I want you to walk with me, hearing him say, if I reveal myself to you in that fashion, that is the way I'll have to lead you the rest of your life. But I want you to be close enough to me that I can guide you with my eye. I have told that story again and again and again, and it was very, very real to me. So let me tell you what happened. After I prayed that I want to sign, God said, get a tablet and begin to write these words, yea, verily. That's not at all what happened. Can I just be really transparent with you? It sounded like my own thoughts. It sounded like my own thoughts. In fact, if I were to have articulated it at that time, here's what I would have told you that happened is I had an argument with myself, and when I said, God, I want you to do this, and then I thought, no, I can't because that'll be a wrong way, and I don't want to be led that way. Often, hearing the voice of God is clearer in hindsight than it is in the moment. And when I looked back at what happened in that moment, I realized that the thought process I had just engaged in was not my own because I tend to not argue with myself. I tend to believe I'm right. And I would have argued my case. Ask anybody that knows me. How many of you believe that in a debate I'll argue my case? Let me see your hands. No, don't raise them at all. Please don't. That was way too affirming. The idea being I looked back and thought, Wow, that was profound. That wasn't from me. That had to have been from God. Many of the times when I talk about, here's what God said to me. It was a thought process I engaged in that sounded like my voice. But I recognized those weren't my thoughts. They came from somewhere else. You learn, listen to me. You learn to hear the voice of God by looking back and recognizing what happened in those moments. I've never, when I talk about how I heard the voice of God, it's an impression, it's an understanding, it's an awareness, it's never an audible voice. It's knowing that he was talking to me. Here's another way to learn the voice of God. 
You'll never hear the voice of God if you can't recognize his voice. You can't, <laughs> you can't recognize the voice of someone you've never talked to. You can't recognize the voice of someone you've never dialogued with. Do you want to hear the voice of God? Do you want to be able to distinguish the voice of God from the voice of man? This is the word of God. And when you read it and memorize it and meditate on it and spend time in it, you're learning to recognize his voice. That's why it is so important. Why do we do JBQ and TBQ and foundations? Why do we emphasize scripture memorization? Because we want children growing up to recognize the voice of God. And they won't recognize the voice of God if they never hear it. Do you want to know his voice? Spend time listening to him. He does not sound like Alexander Scorby. I'm not talking about audiobooks. I'm talking about spending time soaking. You begin to learn his voice. When you're full of his word, you know what his voice sounds like. The other thing that I would suggest in learning to hear his voice is put it to the test. Sometimes it's just responding to prompts. So I, I, I pretty well know that if I get a prompting in my inner man this afternoon to go to Village Inn and have a caramel pecan silk supreme piece of pie, that probably isn't God. Recognize that one. But one Saturday I was sitting at home we were pastoring an old wine and didn't have a mailbox. The church was in a place where it wasn't. We didn't have a mailbox. We had a post office box. And I just felt like I needed to go to the post office. And I told my wife, I need to go to the post office. And she said, why? And she knows I hated going to the post office. I wanted a mailbox. I don't want to drive downtown, find a place to park, go into that building, get the mail, ask for it behind the counter, get it. And go. I, I hated doing that. But I felt like I really needed to go do go get the mail. So I thought, I, I, there's probably a check in there that we need right now. I, I felt like I needed to go. I walked in the post office, and my senses are all ready to go, and I'm looking around. Am I going to lead the postmaster to Jesus? You know, something that I had to come here. I got the mail. It was not a check. It was only bills. I could have waited till Monday. And while I'm standing there throwing away junk mail, there was an individual that we had poured our life into as a church who had disappeared. And I'd been praying, God, bring her back into our life or bring us into her life or someone into her life that she not be lost. She walked in. You can, you can call that coincidence and stay a cynic. Put it to the test. I feel like it's a prompting. I've put the pecan pie test to the test, and it's not God. <laughs> In fact, I may have to try it a couple more times just to be sure. <laughs> but be willing to try it. 
I preached at the Strongholds Conference about, and, and I'm not saying that this is the way he wants to lead you, but about hearing the voice of God, how important that is. And a pastor that's older and that I looked up to came up to me, put his head on my shoulder and began to weep. And he said, I want to get back to that place. And told me about when he was pastoring also in Old Wine, years before we had been there, that he was driving down the road and turned right to go home. And, and he felt like, he felt like he was supposed to turn left, and he thought, that's ridiculous. And so he turned right to go home, and then that wouldn't leave him. So he made a left-hand turn, went back, and, and just felt like he had to stop, go up and knock on a door. And what do you do? Cynics talk themselves out of it. Disciples put it to the test. So he went up and knocked on the door. A woman met him at the door crying. It was a Methodist pastor's wife. And he was ill and dying. And she'd been praying, God, I don't even know who to call. Could you send somebody to my door? Test it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to knock on the door and nobody's there. You're going to knock on the door and they'll say, get off my porch. And then that's a good thing because you've learned that wasn't the voice of God. But when you feel those promptings and you hear the voice of God, sometimes it's going to work. And when it works, you begin to recognize his voice and you're willing to take another step. And there's nothing more exciting in all the world to know that he is directing my path. Here's where my journey in hearing his voice started. It wasn't by hearing his voice. It's by believing. Now watch. Believing I was hearing his voice when I wasn't hearing his voice. When you say, why don't I hear the voice of God? That's why you don't. I believe now, I know this sounds crazy. But I believe I'm hearing the voice of God even when I don't hear the voice of God. What do you mean? I was raised in a way that there are certain things I will not do because I hear my dad's voice when I don't hear his voice. It's just automatic. And, and I came to a scripture and I was praying, God, help me to hear your voice more. And he said, I want you to begin to trust that you do. Well, How? The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in his way. And if you can trust me before you hear, then I can trust you to be able to hear. But you have to have a mindset that I am leading you, whether you feel it or see it or not. In church, that's where it starts, with a mindset that says, he is leading me because his word says so. And I don't need to have a cognitive response. I need to have a submissive and, a submissive and responsive attitude toward him. I believe he's directing my steps. Here's what I believe. I might walk into Village Inn to get lunch. But I believe my steps are ordered of the Lord. And it might be that God put me there for a purpose. It's a mindset that I'm hearing him when I'm not hearing him. Does that make sense to anybody? Yes. It's a commitment that says my steps are ordered by God. And I believe that. Amen. Then when you believe that along the way, 
you begin to hear his voice. So I'd summarize it this way. Start off with a mindset. Change the way you think. You want to hear the voice of God, not the voice of man? I believe that my steps are ordered to the Lord. And then look at things in retrospect. Were there times that God spoke to me that those were his thoughts, not my thoughts? Fill your mind with the word of God, and you'll learn to hear his voice. And lastly, then put it to the test and find out who he is. Because the difference between an evangelical Christ follower and a liturgical nominal Christ follower is not our doctrine. The difference is in we believe in hearing the voice of God. And that's what our church needs. That's what we all need. What will cure a cynic is hearing the voice of God. Screaming at God to talk to you will not elicit a response from him. Why don't you talk to me? I have been and you're not listening. You've heard this story, haven't you, about the man was convinced his wife was going deaf? How many have heard the story? The short version is, I saw one person that didn't raise their hand. <laughs> the short version is the doctor said, well, start on a long ways from her and just say her name and see how close you have to get before she hears you. He's in the front room and he says, um, honey, could I get a cup of coffee? No response. Goes in the dining room, honey, can I get a cup of coffee? No response. She goes in the kitchen and says, he's convinced she's deaf. Honey, can I get a cup of coffee? And she said, yeah, I answered you three times ago. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, he's talking to you. It's not that he's not listening or speaking. It's that you're not hearing. And you have to change your platform. You've got to hear the voice of God. Then second, to change the cynic's heart, you've got to believe the truth of God. Nathaniel believed he could have continued to argue about the fig tree, about what Jesus said. He could have continued to say, well, that's not so what. But in every child of God's life, there come moments When God will enable us to hear more than what is being said, and we have to learn to respond to that. I've shared the story of the young man I was praying for that was bound in a homosexual lifestyle that denied it. And I said to him over and over as I'm praying for him, all I know is what God is pressing on my heart. That doesn't happen day one. That happens as you learn to listen. And I'm content. Hear me now. I'm content if I don't hear anything for the rest of my life because I'm hearing him when I don't hear him. It's not an idol for me. It's knowing that he is speaking and then believing what he says. Don't be a doubter. Some people start from a platform of refusing to believe. They're like Thomas. Unless I see the nail prints and the scar, I will not believe. And those people struggle because doubt isn't something God blesses. Do you believe that this book is true? That's where it starts. It's true. Someone has said, and I get what it means, that I believe that Jesus is the answer. Well, Jesus is the answer whether you believe it or not. It's true. It's not dependent on our response. 
It's what the Word of God says. Have you anchored to it? Do you believe what God is communicating to you? Are you starting as a believer? James says it this way, talking about wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all men liberally and upbraids not. That's the Word of God that's true. If any of you lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives to who? All men, abundantly or liberally, and doesn't upbraid or challenge you. That is true. So when you pray and say, God, give me wisdom, but you doubt, you're not doubting your prayer, you're doubting his word. How many are still with me? So how does that play out? But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. Well, how can I trust him that he's going to give me wisdom because he said so? So when I pray, God, give me wisdom, I don't feel smarter. I don't feel any different. But if I'm going into a situation, someone's coming into my office, we had, we had a situation yesterday involving a, a conflict that I had to deal with. And Pastor Nathan called me and said, will you come out here? And I, I went out there and on my way, I'm saying, God, give me wisdom. And at first I just got anger. And in the middle of my frustration, God spoke to me. Now here's what I want you to see. If you ask him, he'll give it. If you believe it. I believed in that moment, regardless of my emotions or my response or how I felt, that God was going to give me something. This I didn't doubt that for a minute. Why? Because I believed that what he said in his word is true. You can't be a doubter and be a receiver. They don't go together. Now, you can't have faith and not doubt for something the word doesn't say. Well, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be. Say that till your tongue falls out and your lips turn blue, but he didn't declare that to you. The places where you do not doubt and do not waver is where the word of God is declared truth. Are you committed to this book? Committed to what it says? Believe the truth of God. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this. There is joy and peace in doubting. No, no, no. I've never talked to anyone who said, Pastor, I have to tell you, I have so much joy in my life. My doubt is amazing. <laughs> doubting is, I found that to be so fulfilling. The more I doubt, the happier I am. The more at peace I am. Tell me something so I can dis disrespect it. It just gives me joy. What, there is joy and peace in what? Not in the answer. Not in the answer. There is joy and peace in believing. You have to believe the truth of God. Believe what he says. Stand on what he has declared. Know that it will come to pass. He'll guide you into that place of believing. You can trust him. So let me talk to you a minute about the gifts of the Spirit. Well, here, here's, here's what I know. 
I grew up in an era that the gifts of the Spirit were kind of a sideshow for the Pentecostal church. So let's do it here and let everybody watch. But they're tools for believers out in the marketplace. I don't worry about whether or not you're telling me the truth or not. Because I believe that if I need to know that you're lying to me, that I am a Spirit-filled Christ follower, and that God can give me discerning of spirits, he can give me a word of wisdom, he can give me a word of knowledge, and he will protect me. So I don't have to protect myself by being a skeptical cynic, not trusting or believing anyone. I will trust you until I hear him say, don't, because he will protect me. I don't have to be a cynic because he knows what's in man. And he hasn't committed himself to man. He will speak to me. You've got to believe. I want to believe. Then last, expect the glory of God. <laughs> Cynics don't believe anything good is going to happen. Their team is always going to lose. Can I, I was just... I like, I, I like football. I like to watch. And uh, I'm, I, I'm sorry for you Nebraska fans. It's been a rough year. But. <laughs> and I got to watch the last half of the Iowa game. Not even the last half, the last little bit. <sighs> Brother. They're leading, but the second half is coming. And I thought, they're going to tank this one just like they've done the others. They're going to tank it. They're going to give this up. They're going to lose. Anybody else? No? Cynics? You're all a bunch of cynics. <laughs> they didn't. They somehow pulled it out. But it's easy. Life and history and experience can cause us to quit believing for a win. Now, I don't care about a football game, but in your life, some of you have quit believing for a win. You've quit believing an answer's going to come. You've quit believing it's going to get better. You've quit believing there's going to be a miracle. You've quit believing that child is going to come home. You've quit believing your bills will be paid. You've quit believing that God heals. All of those things have collapsed on you. And it's time to say, I've heard the voice of God. I believe the truth of God. And I expect to see the glory of God. I refuse to live my life in doubt looking for the end. I'm going to live my life in faith looking for a win. And I'm not going to give up. I'm going to believe to see the glory of God. Jesus said to Nathaniel, really? That's all it took to get you to believe is for me to say I saw you under a fig tree? Now watch, because what he says here is critically important. Because I told you uh, I saw you under a fig tree, um, you believe. You're going to see greater things. Why? He's saying, Nathaniel, hold on to this. This moment, I want you to remember this, Nathaniel, this moment when you believed. How many have a moment when you believed against all odds, against everything? You believed. You didn't believe. Now you believe. Remember that. Because from this platform of believing, you are going to see greater things. And then he gives us this incredible fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. When Jacob is fleeing, leaving um, home for the first time, and he has a dream. He's afraid. He has a dream. 
It's called Jacob's Ladder, and he sees the angels of God coming up and down on the ladder. And Jesus says to him, whatever has been understood, I'm telling you that you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I am Jacob's Ladder. I am the one that will bridge the gap between earth and heaven. And this moment of believing is going to take you to a place that you're going to see heaven come down and touch earth. You're going to see earth reach up and touch heaven. And it'll be because I bridged the gap. Keep believing and you're going to see greater things than anything you've ever imagined. Doubters never see it if it slaps them in the the face. But believers... Who've heard the voice of God. That's where it starts. Who've heard the voice of God. Believe the truth of God. And then they expect to see the glory of God. Oh, oh listen. I could say I was young and now I'm old. When I was younger, let me do this. When I was younger, it was easy to have slow faith. An emotional faith of naivety of youth that it's all going to be great. And then life slaps you right in the face. Here's what I believe today. The best churches have not been started yet. The greatest miracles have not been seen yet. The greatest revivals have not been experienced yet. Because God has greater things than these for his church as we continue to approach the return of Jesus Christ. There are greater things ahead. Listen, don't let life take away your faith and replace it with a stable cynicism. Cynicism is safer, but it's not healthier. We will see greater things. Last week I said in the altar call, if I said to you, I want to pray for the narcissist, the narcissist would run to the front saying, yes, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. (laughs) I could give an altar call for cynics, and here's the cynics respond to an altar call. I've gone before, it didn't do any good, it won't do any good this time. Come on, how many are hearing me? The cynic has quit believing. He's quit believing. And I, I, uh, I feel like God put someone in my heart this morning. All of this is for this moment. That, that this morning, there's someone who's come to the place that you love Jesus. And you're going to go to heaven, but you've lost your joy because you've lost your hope. You've quit believing it'll ever be better than where it is right now. Can't live there because there is still a God in heaven. And I'm telling you that it will all be better one day, but I'm believing for a victory tomorrow. I'm believing for a life changed tomorrow. I'm believing for another miracle tomorrow. (sighs) Gratitude 
that produces thanksgiving can't live in the heart of a sinner. But when you were under the fig tree, when you were in your bedroom, when you were in the bathroom, when you were in your car, when you were out in the yard, when you were walking down the sidewalk, and you said, this isn't going to get any better. And you were in despair when you were under your fig tree. He saw you. And he's calling you to trust him and begin to believe in him. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I'm not asking you to replace cynicism with optimism. I'm asking you to let Jesus replace cynicism with faith. A faith for today and a faith for tomorrow. And if you're in that place and God has touched your heart, that you need to let go of cynicism, you need to put the Grinch of cynicism out of your life. Just where you sit for a moment, no one looking around, would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's where I'm at, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, yes, thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, yes, in the balcony, in the, the main auditorium. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. I'm not asking you to be ridiculous. I'm not asking you to believe things that he hasn't spoken. I'm asking you to let him remove the cynicism. Wait till you hear his voice. Believe what he says and expect to see his glory and gratitude will fill your heart. Could we stand together? I want us to take just a moment to let God refresh. There's someone here, you're... The picture I have in my mind, and, and forgive me for this, it's simple, but... How many of you know who Pigpen is in the Peanuts cartoons? That dark cloud is around him all the time. You're living with that dark cloud around you, and Jesus wants to move that away from you. He wants you to walk in the sunlight of his love and the joy of his spirit and to lift you to a place, not of unrealistic expectations, but of undeniable and undefeatable trust and faith. Pastor Nathan's going to lead us in a new song. I want you to learn this, sing along if you know it, but let's take a moment. Would you just ask him, this is what my prayer is, Jesus, help me not be a cynic. Help me to have faith. His word 
speaking to someone's heart and I there's someone here this morning that someone has said something to you that has grieved you deeply and it's caused you to become cynical and you're going to have to forgive them and let go of that or you'll never walk in faith again just recently I was talking with a young pastor in Iowa about the future of our network. And I, I and he said some things to me that were hurtful. And I said, well, you, you make it sound like you think I'm part of the problem. He said, you are. You've been part of the presbytery for 30 years and what good have you done? like he ripped my heart out and laid it on the table. I'm trying to bear my heart to someone who just cuts it out and lays it on the table. You know what that did to me for quite some time? Still dealing with it. God, has everything I've done been for nothing? Have I not had any impact? Has it all been a waste of time? Has it all been for nothing? 
Have I been a fool? Invested and gave and sweat and tried for nothing? That'll make you a cynic. But I heard him say, I didn't call you to seek his well done. I called you to seek my well done. And I want you to stay faithful. One more time, heads bowed, eyes closed, because I feel this specifically for someone. Someone has said something to you that wounded you and has made you cynical in regard to your faith. And the only way for you to be free from that is to forgive, let it go, and accept his valuation of you, not theirs. I know you're here. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to know that you heard it, and he's going to liberate you. I want you to slip your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. I am not denying that people will wound and hurt you, but we have to get our affirmation and our worth from our service to him or your faith will become cynicism and I refuse to let people steal my joy Jesus you see our hearts we're standing open and honest before you asking you to do what we cannot do and that is to heal us and to help us move from cynicism to faith help us hear your voice help us believe your word and help us expect again to see the glory of god in jesus name and everybody said amen 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 god bless you